I'm David Marcus, host of Drinks with the Deal, and today our guest is Carolyn Vardy, the head of the private equity industry practice group at Robes and Gray. Carolyn, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, David. So we're going to talk about several things on today's podcast. First, a little bit about your background. Secondly, club deals in private equity, a structure that has a long history and is seeing some new twists. Thirdly, talent management in law firms at both the associate and partner levels. And then finally, how you decompress from work. So with that, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to have your practice. I think my experience was probably not dissimilar to many others. I grew up in New York. I'm a born and bred New Yorker from the Bronx, but I went straight through school and I went to law school probably because of the lack of imagination of what else I might do. Um, And then straight out of law school to big law, just kind of following the easiest thread perhaps. And then how did you end up in corporate? I graduated in 2001. The only thing I knew is that I didn't want to be a litigator and had no idea about the nuances between the various different corporate transactional groups. So I started out trying to get some work in the public markets and nothing was going on at the time. I tried my hand at debt finance transactions and realized that reading a credit agreement at 2 a.m. in the morning felt like hell to me. And then fell in with what at the time was private M&A group, wasn't even a defined practice. Private equity was still really in its nascent. And so um, really liked the group of people I was working with. I really liked that the private equity client team had junior associates on it who were similar to me and how little they knew about the practice and just kind of started doing those deals over and over and kept going with it. And then how did your practice evolve? Obviously, 05 to 07 was a boom time for private equity. And then everything kind of came to a halt in the summer of 2007. You know, the next couple of years, especially after the great financial crisis, were a challenging time for everybody in the financial markets, but certainly anybody who was leveraged. Yeah. So I was lucky enough during those boom years to really build strong relationships with a number of different private equity firms and individuals so that when 2007, 8, 9, when everything kind of came to a halt, my practice kind of shifted a bit into helping those private equity clients think about other ways to deploy capital and more of an advisory function as well with respect to what to do with investments that weren't going so well and helping to think about what the next step might be for these private equity funds to help reimagine how they might protect themselves going forward. I mean, those were issues that, again, many in private equity faced in that four or five-year period. How has that come to affect where the private equity market is today when we have unprecedented amounts of capital in the PE market and the number of sponsors you know, that could do a billion dollar plus deal of probably a hundred or more, which certainly would not have been the case even on an inflation adjusted basis when you started practicing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a real believer that we have a forward momentum within private equity and capital markets generally. And when setbacks like what happened in 2007 and 8 occur, 
they're an opportunity to reassess where we are and figure out better paths forward. And coming out of that period of time, I think private equity funds were more nimble. They understood that they needed to be more flexible with how they thought about investments and how they might need to protect themselves going forward. And we see that playing out today because private equity firms are raising all sorts of different types of funds, credit funds. They find themselves in different spots of the capital structure rather than just kind of a very plain vanilla control investment. And I think that what they've learned from the experience in 08, as well as these boom times and having so much capital to deploy, is that the way they think about investment, it needed to fundamentally shift. And I think they've responded amazingly. And how is that related to, in some cases, far more complicated capital structures you see now than would have been a prevalent in industry's early years, you know, certainly into the 90s and the early aughts? So it's related in a few ways. And you started to touch on this before when you think about the mega size of deals that have now almost worked their way into the middle market. You know, we have to almost redefine our parameters. So private equity funds who are stretching to meet the purchase price demands of powerful sellers in this market are coming up with creative solutions of how they might invest in a company, of how they might be part of an investment that isn't the typical control situation of taking minority pieces, of offering junior debt, of partnering with others in order to be able to insinuate themselves into larger transactions and also to build platforms to allow these companies to continue to grow. And, and so how does that affect your job as a counselor? I mean, you know, historically, you thought of the private equity lawyer essentially as an M&A lawyer in a largely private company context with a given set of clients. But what you're describing demands a broader familiarity with the range of options a, a PE firm might have. Absolutely. And I think I'm not alone when I say that private equity is a team sport. But I think someone who grows up and focuses on private equity M&A cannot be tunnel visioned in how they think about what transactions are. And that's why, you know, certainly at Ropes and Gray and other firms that focus on private equity, for junior associates to grow, they need to have a broad base so that they know more than just the typical private equity M&A transaction, but they need to understand the debt. They need to understand all sorts of special situations and restructuring and public options for these private equity investors so that they can think strategically and be that advisor. You know, Everyone always wants to be that trusted advisor for their clients. The job requires a lot more now. It demands a lot more creativity and a lot more market intelligence about what the art of the possible is. So how do you get associates that training in an environment where, you know, one, there's enormous deal flow, so that there's pressure just to execute transactions, and two, there are cost pressures that push everybody in big law to be more specialized? So there are a couple of different ways to do it. And one is, I think that on these big deals, there certainly are cost pressures, and there always have been cost pressures. But on these big deals, there's an efficiency to be had by having associates step up and take on 
more responsibility kind of liaise between the specialist groups. So sure, there'll be a debt financing arm and sure, there'll be an equity financing arm and an M&A arm. But the junior and mid-level associates on these teams really do need to be able to understand what all the different teams are doing and be ready to implement those things. And the more junior associates, the really, really new associates should be staffed freely among all of these different groups so that they really understand the interplay between all of these aspects as they kind of grow in their career and it's part of their DNA. And to be frank with you, I think that's what they're looking for. Specialization is all well and good, but I find it just from my personal experience, really hard to believe that a first year associate who doesn't otherwise have sector experience or professional experience really knows what kind of corporate lawyer that person wants to be because the practice is so different than the theoretical. So I think giving them this broad-based experience allows them to develop on a professional level much better for themselves, putting aside the benefit for our deal execution and for the clients. And they're looking to learn them and contribute that more significant value. Talk a little bit about the challenges of talent management in the law firm context. Maybe start with associates. I mean, clearly, every lawyer you talk to says that finding and retaining associates in the current market is very challenging. What do you find that associates want? And how, as a manager in your firm, do you try and help them get that experience? both so that they develop professionally and honestly, so that they stay at your firm longer. I think the thing that big law is contending with, and frankly, this is almost industry agnostic, is that when you get to a certain level of your professional career, and it's true for all of our associates, what this job is, is a 24-7, 365 ask for people to be constantly available. And our associates are ready, willing, and able to step up to that demand. But what they recognize, and frankly, what should have been recognized going back to the start of all of this, is that to give all they have to their profession requires also incorporating their life into their profession. And I think they're really, really interested in helping to be thought partners, thought leaders, learn as much as they can, contribute value, and be recognized for that contribution right out of the gate. There's no reason why someone should be toiling away you know, at 3 a.m. turning a partner's changes and for that partner not even to know that person's name. You know, I think back to those stories and it's unfathomable that we all accepted that as a state of play. So associates today, they're ready to work really hard, but they want to contribute in valuable ways and understand what's going on beyond the words on the page. They want to understand the thinking behind it. That helps them ask the questions, make the suggestions that makes the whole deal team take a step back and be stronger for it. And then on the, the partner level, you lateral to ropes four or five years ago. What did you learn from that experience? Not just about ropes, but maybe about yourself and about the process of moving laterally, which obviously has become much more common over the last generation. Yeah, the nature of the industry is definitely changing. And I think what our associates feel, our partners feel as well, 
we're all giving everything we have to this job and we're looking to do it as best we can. And to do that goes beyond the obvious of client generation and client service. We're really spending our lives with the people around us. And I think what people are looking for generally today is a way to contribute to the larger mission of an institution, the larger culture of an institution. And lateraling helped give me perspective on what works and what doesn't work at different institutions. I'm actually a huge supporter of people lateraling in order to get that perspective in their careers. And I'll just tell you by way of example, in my move to ropes, for instance, community service is something that's really important to me. And when I came over to ropes, I had the idea of creating a week focused on community service and we picked a charity and partnered with it. It was a charity that supported veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces. And we found lots of different ways for everyone at the firm to partner with our chosen charity, whether it was fundraising, volunteering our time, our services, promoting businesses that were veteran-owned, like a veteran-owned, woman-owned beer company called Talea or a veteran-owned coffee brewing company that takes its profits and supports American veterans to fly out to war zones and areas of conflict to provide medical services and support for the community of those areas. And it brings everyone together. So, you know, I've really found that this ability to contribute on a human level and on a larger level makes what I do much more fulfilling. Talking about just career arcs, I mean, obviously the ideal for law firms was, and to some extent still is, that you walk in as an associate in your mid-20s and you make partner and you stay until you retire at some point in your 60s. So how can firms balance the stability that that model provides with a much more dynamic workplace where people are moving around more, in part because we're in an economy where the idea of working for 35 or 40 years at one employer was very difficult for a lot of people to fathom. You know, people talk a lot about innovation in ideas and approach to work. And one thing that this dynamism brings is the ability to have more diverse, more innovative ideas. You know, when you think about a static workforce that grows up in the same institution, that learns from, you know, the same small group of managers or leaders and brings people up in their shadow, the idea of bringing in new concepts, new approaches, new information, exceedingly limited. Back in the day when we're talking about LBOs, there was one way, two ways to do a deal. As you well know, when Al Rose, one of the fathers of M&A and a Ropes and Gray partner, came up with his approach, um, SunGuard, to doing M&A deals and a reverse termination fee, it shocked the industry and changed it. And we can't wait 40 years for another good idea. I think what we've learned by looking at the economy generally, certainly the rise of tech has helped us in this regard, is that new ideas are there for the taking. And when you have new people come into an institution, it gives you the ability to access and harness a world of ideas that may not have been um, at your doorstep before, or certainly within the halls of the one hallowed institution. 
So yes, there's a trade-off, right? Stability gives a lot of comfort to an institution, and it certainly lets people know what's coming down the pike so that they can prepare for it more easily. But just like private equity needing to be nimble, needing to move fast, so do law firms and so do other industries as well. That's where we are in this inflection point, I think, of the arc of our industry. And then finally, tell us a little bit about what you do when you're not practicing law. Try to be nimble myself, David. I love the outdoors. I often say that if I were not a corporate lawyer, I would be a park ranger somewhere in a federal park. So I like to go camping. I like to go hiking. I like to disconnect from my computer and the fluorescent lights as much as I am able. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us. David, it was absolutely a pleasure. Always good talking with you. For Drinks with a Deal, I'm David Marcus.